and welcome to Wii Universe. This is the podcast where we are wa- playing every single uh, Wii we're, U game. We're watching them. We're watching some, too. Ooh. I mean... We're watching other people this, play them and commenting. This one's very cinematic. We're, we were watching it. Uh, my name is Steve Gutman. Hello, I'm Woody Siskowski, only here because I'm the co-host of the podcast. <laughs> we, uh, we actually had to uh, utilize Woody's tag function uh, to bring in an expert here. He had to tap the tag button and bring in an expert because today we're talking about the game Mass Effect, which is a game that Woody has never played before, has no real bearing in, and it feels cruel to throw you into the middle of Mass Effect 3 with no prior knowledge. So we tagged in a special expert. Please say hello, Katie Bray. Hi, Katie. Hi, how's it going? Very well. Welcome back. It's been like a million years since we've had yeah. you on. Like uh, Monopoly? Is it Monopoly? Monopoly. Yeah. yeah, God, yeah. That's, that's been way too long. Um, I just want we're, we're doing a very weird thing where we have we to are. trade a microphone back and forth because Steve has a very nice setup for two people and yeah. not as nice for three people. I, I, this but, is the first time we've had three people in the room. Yeah, like, well, I mean, celebrate that. Celebrate that. Yeah, like pop that's, them party poppers. That's amazing. But, <laughs> that's why there might be some awkward pauses between Katie and I talking. Yeah, they uh. they they really like. I'm not even exaggerating. It's kind of a tag team system <laughs> where we're like moving the mic back and forth. So uh, we'll we'll figure it out. But, but. Uh, I do want to say real quick that um, there's like a weird idea of the fact that like someone is on a podcast that like lends them some sort of intrinsic credibility. You know what I mean? Like just the nature of like, Oh, your voice is out there being recorded. Wait a minute. Someone gave that guy a podcast. You must know something. And like, just to be clear to the listeners, I know nothing. You could not find a less qualified person to speak about mass effect. So when you guys listen to podcasts, like let's say you get into a new podcast, like a movie or game podcast, do you scour around to listen for episodes that are on topics that you already know about, or do you want to learn about topics you don't know? Like, do you want to learn about movies you haven't seen, or do you want to hear their takes on movies you have seen? I Well, it depends. I kind of like to do both. Like, with a lot of podcasts, like movie podcasts in particular, I like to watch the movie and then hear them talk about it. If it's a movie I've seen a million times, of course, I don't need to worry about watching it again. But that tends to be my uh, system. I don't know about you. Uh, but I do like to learn stuff, too. Yeah, no, I, I like to learn stuff... I do seek out podcasts specifically when I'm looking to get somebody's take on something. Sure. Um, you know, most recently with The Mandalorian. Oh, okay. Because I had no, nobody to talk to about it. So. My, my take, uh, pretty good. I like yeah, it. I, I good, enjoyed it. Good good show. That, yeah. little, that little Yoda guy, he's, he's a cute guy. He's a cute guy. Just a, um, just a cute guy. Yeah, just, just the reason I bring that up. 50-year-old man. Is because <laughs> if you are a listener to this show, or maybe this is your first episode, and you're really excited about Mass Effect, and you're like, I want to listen to all the Mass Effect podcasts, <laughs> and you hear me just talking out of my ass. <laughs> Don't let it be. It's because he's doing his awesome Ace Ventura impression. Yeah, I, Don't worry. Don't excuse worry. me. <laughs> I have to ask <laughs> you about this ass effect. Classic, classic bit. Um, <laughs> no, the point is... I don't know what the hell I'm talking about, but I'm going to continue to talk because that's what America is about. Hell, White men talking yes. without knowing what they're talking about. <laughs> that's okay because you know what? Half of the white men on the show right now uh, are are very well versed in Mass Effect. Uh, you know, I'm going to flatter myself and say that I am very well versed in Mass Effect. Uh, Katie, how about your experience with Mass Effect? Why why um, why are you here? Why why um, have you been his uh, lifeline? Uh, mostly because I think I am Bioware's second biggest fan girl. Oh, or, yeah. Who's the first biggest fan girl? Um, either you or my best friend. 
I am I the biggest fangirl? Ooh, oh, man. yeah. Oh, I I, who I knows? knows? Maybe. You know, maybe. Uh, I would say up to a point, maybe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I have individual uh, moments of Bioware super fandom, but yeah. 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 So, yeah, and for me, my foray into... I don't want to say adult video games because that sounds wrong. But Custer's Revenge. <laughs> you got to tag the mic. You got to tag the mic if you've got her. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so it was um, basically Bioware was the reason I bought my first, my own personal first game system. Oh, so, nice. And Mass Effect is actually really the first shooter. I ever played. Oh, wow. So, you know, it's kind of a, a double first. There. Okay. Yeah. Well, you, you never forget your, you never forget your double first. <laughs> <laughs> that also well, sounds really bad. It does. These are the kind of quality contributions I will be making throughout the podcast. I'm, I'm glad you slid the mic over for <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, it, it was important. <laughs> it, it, it does lend a weird, like, air of when I do sort of slap, pull the mic away from Katie. I'm like, oh man, whatever I say better be important. <laughs> Which it's is also very <laughs> antithetical to my presence on this <laughs> podcast, which is rooted in saying unimportant things. I are right, I I'm definitely moving my priority up to a, 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 a sound system that can support more people, but uh, I'm, I'm working on that. <laughs> sure. But, but uh, yes, so since we were talking about Bioware, let's give a little bit of history because Mass Effect, in a lot of ways, is kind of the culmination of Bioware's kind of journey, and I think it's worth starting uh, with them. So, uh, Bioware was founded in 1995 by Greg Musica and Greg, or I'm sorry, Ray Musica and Greg Zeshuk, uh, two friends from Edmonton in Alberta. Uh, they just graduated from medical school. They are medical doctors, uh, and they paid their way through medical school by doing computer programming for their friends. And before they could ever apply for residencies or do anything to become an actual doctor, they had a reckoning, and they're like, you know what? We kind of like making these games more than we did being doctors. Let's just do that. So they brought in some family members, $100,000 in capital, and they started their own company. You're telling me that it is more satisfying to create, like, large emotional worlds than it is to, like, feel someone's pulse? Right? <laughs> or, or pull something out of their butt. Yeah, like, exactly. oh, I guess it depends what kind of doctor you are. I probably shouldn't, like, Oh, belittle... I'd be the one pulling stuff out of butts. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> belittle the concept of doctors being as they literally save people's lives. <laughs> you <whereas>... fucking doctors. <laughs> yeah. You idiots. You could be making Crash Bandicoot 4. <laughs> I mean, I don't think it's a contest, right? Well, no, but Crash Bandicoot 4 would win over medicine, the concept of medicine. Uh, so sure. the, fir the first Bioware game was Shattered Steel. Uh, would that surprise you to learn that that is a mech combat game uh, from the title? Uh, it earned a small cult following because it had, uh, for the time, innovative like uh, terrain destruction effects, like you blow a crater into the ground. You know, That's in every game now, but that was kind of a big deal then. Um, and that was published by Interplay, and it was a solid enough success for them, enough to de give them enough runway for their first mega super hit, and that was Baldur's Gate, which came out on PCs in 1998. Uh, this was a game that told an original story within the advanced Dungeons & Dragons universe, and so it was kind of a one-two punch revival. Like, firstly, it revived PC RPGs at a time when like it kind of was uh, languishing a little bit, and it also revived a lot of people's interest in D&D. Uh, just because yeah. of how successful these games were. Um, and so Bioware was all of a sudden kind of the hottest commodity in PC gaming. You, did you ever get into Baldur's Gate, Steve? I've never played it. I've not, that's a big gap for me as well, yeah. because I hear it's great. It's so the, the design of PC RPGs is so different than console ones. Yeah. And like the amount of just sort of 
fiddly systems that you have to get into has always been a big block for me. Sure. Um, but I, I guess it's like proves this company's nerd bona fides. Like I'm sure that they, these guys were D and D players themselves. Oh, definitely. They have to be, they have to be, uh, you know, but, uh, so yeah, Baldur's Gate was just a massive hit for Bioware and they kind of spent the next several years just doing Baldur's Gate stuff. They did expansion packs, they did sequels and things like that. Uh, shortly after the release of Baldur's Gate 2 uh, in 2000, uh, Atari bought the D&D license away from BioWare. So they were kind of left uh, starting over. Like, they're like, okay, we've been D&D guys for so long. What are we now? Uh, how about Star Wars, guys? That's a good next step, right? That's, that's maybe like, the best step. That's a pretty... I, absolutely. That's a pretty damn good step. Uh, oh, the other thing to note is that they created this Infinity engine, uh, and they were making a lot of their money, too, by... Uh, selling it to games like uh, Planescape Torment uses it, Icewind Dale, uh, I think Neverwinter Nights uses it. So yeah, lots of lots of different games. Um, but yeah, so they entered into an exclusive contract with Microsoft to produce games for their new Xbox console. And the first game to emerge from this partnership was Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic, one of my f- 10 favorite games of all time. Uh, hard agree. It's Again, it's the game that got me into video games. Other than, I guess, Sid Meier's Civilization. Sure, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I think, I, yeah, Civilization would have been one of my early major ones, too. Yeah. Um, but KOTOR, uh, one of the best acronyms of any game ever, too. It's like <laughs> its own title. It's like, oh, yeah, I want to go play Star Wars. KOTOR. Like, that could be the name of the main character in that. I feel like the thing that gives that, uh, that knocks that out for acronyms is COD Blops. Which one's Cod Blops? Call oh, of Duty Black Ops. That's right. I love Cod Blops. Cod Blops is great. I don't know if I ever said that out loud, but I love Cod Blops. It sounds like a, a old timey like term for hemorrhoids or something. <laughs> like, oh dear, he's got the Cod Blops from eating too much cod. Someone call a smithy. <laughs> um, but yeah, so uh, uh, Knights of the Old Republic was a huge, huge game for me. Uh, I'm, I actually want to replay that. It's been so I, long. I uh, also want to replay it. We can play it on our phones now. That makes me yep. feel very old. <laughs> <laughs> 70-hour RPG. I've honestly thought about it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's it's a fantastic game. Uh, they, they passed on doing the sequel. They handed off development duties for uh, KOTOR 2 to Obsidian. Yep. And I, I feel like that's a lesser game. I know it has its fans. Um, yeah, it's got a it's a lesser game. The story's still really interesting. Yeah. Um, I think they did some. You got to be a Jedi a mm-hmm. lot faster in that game. Yeah, if I remember correctly. So I think that was the appeal. Absolutely. Yeah. And faster, the faster you can be a Jedi, the better. Yeah. Uh, they followed up uh, KOTOR with a successful Kung Fu RPG called Jade Empire, which is also really, really good. And I think people sleep on that one. Uh, uh, I don't think a lot of people know about it. Um, yeah. And I actually still own my original copy. Yeah, because it's just kind of like it's one of those games that just like lived and died on the original Xbox. Like it yeah. didn't get any ports or, or remasters or anything. There were no sequels. It just kind of yeah. bam, one and done. I'm just curious. Um, you said that it was a kung fu RPG, and it made me think. What are your other favorite kung fu RPGs, Steve? <laughs> oh, well, boy. it's uh, the Panda Arrives. Sure, Panda, Panda Returns. There's, there's, uh, uh, God, Jet Li did a game, didn't he? What was was that an RPG? I don't think so. I don't man. think so. He did but, a weird game. There's a bunch of like bad fighting games but rise of the like, triad that was it yeah wow i don't i don't think i know this game yeah what yeah. about the bouncer is the bouncer a kung fu rpg oh i guess that kind of would <laughs> be maybe god hand god I, hand would be a good one yeah that'd be a good pick uh i have to think about that yeah i don't know too many other kung fu rpgs to be honest uh but that's okay so yes um a, a few years later yeah they they uh did revisit the 
Star Wars license with the Old Republic, which yep. was a massive MMORPG. Uh, I don't know. You've, you've actually played yeah. this, Katie. I, I have no experience playing Code. I remember just being very disappointed when I learned that they're not going to be any more like narrative KOTOR games, that they're uh, just going to be in this online universe now. I was also super disappointed. Um, that being said, it didn't stop me from playing it. Okay. Um, so I was a beta tester for that one were you yeah so that was right after grad school for me so apparently i had a lot of time and they were they were kind of coming off of slash recovering from galaxies wasn't that their first star wars mmo yeah kind of i like, think so and people didn't like that one no um, and then people were kind of uh hit or miss on old republic too did they get it together because i mean a lot of these mmos start off really bad like final fantasy 14 started off really bad and now it's evolved into what it is but yeah i I mean i played it again with a aforementioned best friend Mm -hmm. over during the pandemic as a thing to do sure and we needed those (laughs) yeah (laughs) you know and it's still interesting um it's it's free to play now which i think tells you a lot about it um it's fine i'm kind of surprised to learn it's still around yeah yeah i thought it, it had gone away a while ago it's fine. It's a grind. And yeah. And I, I just really don't like grind. Oh, fair. Fair. Yeah. All right. Uh, so uh, in 2007, BioWare was purchased in total by EA for a reported $800 million. Holy shit. Payday. Uh, EA had been on a bit of a buying spree at the time, and BioWare was seen as kind of one of the new jewels in the EA crown. Uh, and they celebrated this new partnership by releasing two absolutely iconic RPGs in the same year. The first of which is Mass Effect, which we will talk about. The second, of course, uh, everyone's favorite, Sonic Chronicles The Dark Brotherhood. Uh, <laughs> the handheld Sonic RPG that is in no way broken or terrible. Uh, and it's a perfect game that everyone loves. Wait, I'm really curious about this. <laughs> what the hell is this game? Uh, did like, you not know about this? It sounds like you like Sonic and you fight against some weird cult. Like, it's something like that. Yeah, I didn't get very far. Just it's, imagine a bunch of like hooded cult, like Sonic versus Cthulhu. It's it, from what I recall, it's just like a Mario RPG knockoff with quick time events, and okay. it sucks. Huh? Like it just—I remember just getting so bored with it and turning it off after a while. Very, and I kind of people were kind of excited about the prospect of this game because I was like, very excited. You're like, yeah, yeah but like maybe this will make Sonic seem less terrible. Like, Sonic Bioware will do something cool with it. Sonic was in an extra mega slump at this time. Okay. We had just come off of like Sonic Unleashed, where he turns into the Werehog or whatever, <laughs> and like, and then we had uh, Sonic 06, of course, where he makes out with a human lady and keeps clipping through walls. Wow, <laughs> this game actually sounds pretty good. Oh, my, oh if you have played sonic 06 you have got to try it's the worst game ever made it's so bad i'm interested i know right Uh, yeah it it, it piques the interest uh yeah so the handheld game didn't hit so much but mass effect definitely did it became a critical and sales darling and uh it earned the company the runway to make another sweeping fantasy rpg called dragon age which has had three successful sequels uh or no two sequels two. one game two sequels three uh, games number four is in development right in now. development allegedly in de- allegedly yeah we'll we'll see if that comes around so yeah and me to uh, mass effect 2 and mass effect 3 were both in there as well big hits big successes um but the company's founders announced shortly after the release of mass effect 3 that they were leaving bioware and several other key players left the company as well since then, Bioware's output has been a little hit or miss. Uh, they bet big on Anthem, which was kind right. of their Destiny-style loot shooter, uh, big online experience, which it has its fans, and I think it's grown a little bit, but it was a sales disappointment when it came out. 
and then Mass Effect Andromeda, which is kind of like a standalone game, was actually a big sales hit for them. It was, yeah. But players don't like that game. Like, players kind of rebelled against it. It got kind of a tepid <laughs> critical response, and then players in general just sort of rejected it. I thought it was fine. Which, like, yeah. I think most people who've actually sat and played it, that's kind of the consensus. It's like, it's fine. Like, it's not it, it's not offensively bad or anything. But, uh, yeah, so uh, just recently, just this month, we ha- saw the release of Mass Effect Legendary Edition, which is a fully HD remaster of the original game, which uh, has been quite successful. I hope that portends uh, remasters of 2 and 3 as well, so that you can continue that little trilogy there. And apparently Mass Effect 4 is in the works and could be out as soon as next year. I mean, it would be, ins- like, I'm sure that's whole part of the reason that they did the remaster, aside from, you know, buckos. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, build up the energy. Yeah, it, yeah it, this, it, it's sure kind of been quiet for a while. It'll time, and we'll get the remasters over it. They'll par- parse them out, and so once you've had the remasters of two and three for a while, they will put four out and oh, announce yeah. four. Well, let me give a little bit of an overview of the Mass Effect series here. Uh, so the, this series has sold 20 million units worldwide just across three games, or four games, which is pretty amazing. That's better uh, than being a doctor. All right. So, uh, yeah, they, it, this is one of the rare video game franchises that has really flourished in other mediums. There have been seven novels, all of which are bestsellers. I've read a few of them. They're they're good. Yeah, me too. Um, it's, it's got a, a very long-running Dark Horse comic book series, which I think is still going. It is. It's actually really popular at the library. Ooh, okay. Yeah. Uh, there's an amusement park ride at California's Great Adventure. Uh, there's an anime series. There's an upcoming film that's been in development since 2014, but is apparently still happening and as of february of this year henry cavill has been cast as shepherd i understand mm-hmm. i uh, katie just said no shit just so you guys are in the loop um i understand the desire to make a film of a very popular series that already exists but there is a i don't know like video game movies that are based on something like mass effect or uncharted yeah. feel like such a dead end to me because the like, source material is already so such a strong right, like, cinematic experience. That is the whole point. It's like it seems like just such a dead end of like what are you going to do? Are you going to very accurately like trans just retell the story and kind of leave people disappointed that way? Yeah. Or are you going to go your own weird direction? It just seems like a recipe for people being disappointed. It's a zero sum game. Yeah. yeah, you're you're not going to get anything out of it. Uh you know, but hopefully, like things have been kind of trending slightly better for video game adaptations lately. So I don't know. It depends on Uh-oh. where you sit on the new Mortal Kombat, but <laughs> badly, badly, yeah. you sit badly on it. Yeah, I sit mediocrely on it. Uh, so yeah, uh, the original Mass Effect had kind of two big gameplay hooks when it first came out. Firstly, it was Bioware messing with shooter mechanics for the first yep. time. And secondly, it was an evolution of a system that they'd introduced with KOTOR, which is kind of a morality system, which was a big deal when KOTOR came out. I think by the time Mass Effect came out, it was starting to get a little played out. Uh, A lot of that is because uh, developers would shoehorn these systems into their games. Yeah. And it usually kind of boils down to like, okay, I need to make a very clear black or white decision. Like, do I uh, rescue this baby from a fire or do I throw this baby into a fire? (laughs) Like, your, your options are so clearly labeled and... And after a while, you start playing it, and like, unless you're a weird sociopath, you don't really want to play the throwing the baby in the fire version of the game. Like, it limits your options, right? Well, that's what I'm curious. Um, it, listeners, actually, if you are a person who does really enjoy playing sort of the evil path in games, like, write in and, like, why is that fun? Because to me, like, I don't know, like, 
even though they're all like fake people, I don't find joy in bringing sorrow to even the fake people. No, it stresses um, me out. Yeah, it stresses me out too. And I'm, I don't know, I always feel like you're going to see the most gameplay by taking the sort of light path. You're going right. to kind of, you feel like you're playing it as it was intended. You want a, you want a heroic narrative, you know, at yeah. the end of the day. Like it's not, it's not as much fun to follow, like, because the story beat is still going to be playing around with this heroic framework, you know, like that's kind of what it's building toward. It's like, like this- I feel like I was kind of trained to, there's, there's always a couple games where like before the last boss, I remember this as being a weird trope. The boss would ask if you like wanted to join them Oh, and you yeah. could say yes or no. And if you said yes, the game would just end. Yeah. And you're like, what the hell? Far Cry, <laughs> Far Cry did that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's yeah. a very weird aspect. Um, and was this game pre? Was the original Mass Effect pre or post uh, Walking Dead? Like the the Telltale the, the game. The Telltale game. The first one, Mass Effect was pre. That, okay. Uh, yeah. Because I feel before. like the Walking Dead game was essentially like the climax of that morality system of actually like figuring out how to make it kind of matter and not being so gray in the choices. It yeah. wasn't like you're going to do good or bad. It's like what sacrifice are you going to choose in this sort of no no win situation right that that's kind of the best way to approach it and i feel like mass effect 3 really tones down this system it's called the renegade paragon system you know and uh, you're either a paragon or you're a renegade uh <laughs> as as you could tell and i feel like that's been downplayed quite a bit in this one compared to the first one yeah i would say that renegade kind of ends up being your efficient choice versus your diplomatic choice yeah right yeah. But it is cool that like NPCs will react to you a certain way if you do too many like negative decisions or or like do too right. many cruel things to people like because you get there's a point system, right? There's a point system. Yeah. Like yeah. I think it's Mass Effect 2 like there's a store in the Citadel like if you do enough good and are enough of a paragon, the store will ask Shepard to be like their mascot. Oh yeah. And you'll get like promotion money for like uh, recording some messages for them. Like I'm just imagining like a two a tall tube man version of Shepard with like the big wobbly arms. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes. Oh yes. There, this game. We'll get to that, but this game also has many wonderful, weird glitches. But uh, yeah. yeah, that's not necessarily something you. Uh, it, it might be something you see, is what I'm saying. You might get wacky bar, arm inflatable tube man. Uh, so this game kind of became a weird mainstream talking point for a few weeks, thanks to some hilariously misguided hit jobs by conservative watchdogs over at Fox News. So Mass Effect has a a relationship system. You can enter into a like romantic relationship with someone in your party uh and when this information first came out some conservative christians heard this and they they assumed the game was just going to be an orgiastic free fall <laughs> of of, of sec- homosexuality we're just like tentacles everywhere it's and, never that exciting and uh the fox news host martha mccallum uh, got so worked up she devoted an entire episode of her show to lambasting ea for allowing like these deviant products to get in the hands of these kids uh, and this, of course, is nonsense, because if anyone has ever played this game knows the sex scenes are strictly PG-13. They look like you're bumping action figures together because <laughs> the character models are so stiff and shiny. And there's really nothing you could assume is is shocking at all. Also, like, don't you most don't you fuck aliens? Like, isn't or are you all humans? humanoid humanoid aliens? Yeah, but, but yeah. they're still aliens, right? Yeah. Like, OK, yeah. I'm just saying if you're going to draw your line there. Yeah, but you can you you can fuck people too, like you know. And uh, the weirder looking aliens, uh, the less humanoid looking ones, don't give you relationship options. So like you uh, except can't. Except for Garrus. Well, Garrus is a stud. Uh, okay, yeah, yeah we're, oh, I'm not even going to debate that. <laughs> but like, 
you can't get like Morden Solis or someone like or or, oh, no, or an Elcor like you know or even a Krogan statement. I am receiving pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's for the Mass Effect jokes fans out there. All all my mass holes. Where are you? Where are you? Uh, so yeah, Jeff Keeley, uh, best known as the creator of the Game Awards, he called out Martha McCallum and asked if she'd actually played the game before airing the spot. And to her credit, she admitted that she had not. And she sat down and played the game, uh, the the so-called like kind of controversial parts of it. And she made a rare Fox News retraction. She came Whoa. forward and she said, yeah, I've seen more explicit stuff on an episode of Lost. Like this isn't what I thought it was at all. So sorry about that. Uh, yeah. Well, and correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't this the first Mass Effect game that had a male on male romance? Yes, it was. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. This was the first one to add all, all uh, same sex options. Um Nevertheless, the the interspecies sexy times were actually enough to get this game banned outright in Singapore, uh, just because, yeah, yeah, they think it's uh, kind of deviant to display human-alien relations. So Singapore, it is banned. Uh, Yeah, and Mass Effect was always planned as a trilogy, uh, and as long as you can play all three games on the same platform, you can carry the same character over across all three games. That's where it gets complicated for our purposes today. Right. I, I was just I was just going to make a siren noise as you yeah. said what you said. Like, whoa, back up, Steve. Didn't we play Mass Effect 3? Why, yes, we did, Billy. Yeah. I thought that, I. what if I want to play Mass Effect 1 and 2 and carry my character over? Well, Are those on the Wii? Yourself. Yeah. No. Fuck yourself, Billy. Are those on the Wii U also? They are not. Oh. Dog nabbit. So, yeah, and like, for me, I've never adequately uh use this system because i played the first one on 360 and then the second two on ps3 so like i never carried my character across an entire campaign uh but you, you've done this before yeah i played all three on the xbox 360 okay um, and i i actually remember a lot of dis a lot of people were really angry that you couldn't port them over from two to three oh. if i remember correctly and uh, you know, I remember taking a picture of my shepherd in Mass Effect 2 with a flip phone camera Ooh. and then like painstakingly recreating it. Oh my God. Yeah. That's so. <laughs> that, okay. That's intense. That's intense because you probably had like one megapixel uh, screen right. resolution on that. So yeah, it, it's, you know, flip phones. <clears throat> who, who, who misses them? Not I me. do. Do you? <laughs> no, not really. They're back. I did see a movie the other day from like the early 2000s where someone has one of those slidey phones, like the switchblade phones, like that pop out. Like, like it, it wasn't a, it was like a Matrix style phone in right. a non Matrix movie. Uh, <laughs> but that made me, I, I wish that design was back. Uh, but they, uh, flip phones are ostensibly back. Like they've got flip smartphones now. Those, those freak me out. I don't yeah. like it. I, don't, I feel like I'm going to break my screen. <laughs> All right, let's actually jump into talking about Mass Effect 3 properly today. So Mass Effect 3 Wii U Edition was released November 18th, 2012. That's right, another launch game. Every game is a launch game. Who gives a shit? Everything's crazy. Uh, this was developed by... Wii U, famously the only console that launched with 300 games like, and never released anymore. How could it bomb? Like, it had every game you could ever want to play in history. Like. Yeah. There, no, yeah, there, there were like 27 launch it games. Is, we've done like, like uh, 10 yeah. episodes of this show or something, and like we've talked about like five launch maybe, games. Yeah, maybe half have been <laughs> yeah. launch games so far. Uh, so this was developed by Bioware, published by EA, also released on Windows 360 and PS3. Uh, so the Mass Effect 3 kind of came out towards the tail end of like the 360 PS3 life cycle. So when they were developing this game, they weren't really focused on making it like a big, like, mind-blowing tech extravaganza. Yeah. Like, 
the the engine was kind of locked in. So what they really focused on with this game was uh, the shooting mechanics. They wanted to make this one of the best like actual third person action games on the market. Like I think the balance prior to this had skewed a little more towards the RPG side. Yeah. Uh, and then this one is kind of, you know, well, okay, one skews RPG, two skews more shooter, and this one kind of tries to rebalance it a little bit. Yeah. Right? Would you say that's accurate? Yeah, I, I, I remember one being a lot harder, um, but again, I think that's just because it was my first shooter. Yeah. You know. I will say having played all three and having played a lot of shooters like this, I think this game does have the most satisfying action. Uh, yeah, I would agree with like, that. Yeah, which uh, which whatever else you can say about this game, it does have the most satisfying shooting. So, I mean, let's be clear now. I have now played about 15 minutes of Mass Effect gameplay in, in my life <laughs> um, right before we started recording this because that's about all the gameplay that you get when the in the first 40 minutes to an hour of the game. There's and a lot it, of cutscenes, which it, totally makes sense. Yeah, You're yeah. about to start this long adventure, um, and so you're just kind of running around a little bit with, you know, collapsing catwalks around you mm. um but i was really like the shooting is fun like it's yeah. not it's not quite as like chunky and resonant as like a gears of war but your you know it feels accurate your gun is satisfying to use and the enemies take damage when you shoot them it exactly. doesn't i i guess i had always, just always imagined that this game was some kind of weird shooter hybrid where it was just kind of like select the enemy that you want to shoot and like target their area like the weird like fallout or like games an, or like an can... xcom thing or something where you're like yeah well like, if it had like, been xcom i would have been all over you would because i love xcom yeah. but um, as you should yeah um and but just in that brief time i'm like wow this game is actually like very smooth and playable it does not feel like does not feel like you're sort of deciphering your way through systems it yeah. just feels like you're basically playing you know uncharted with some more depth to it I, th I think Fallout's a good comparison, too, yeah, because I think when you think shooter RPG, that's kind of what you think of. But this, the balance is pretty strong here uh, yeah. between shooter and RPG. And I remember, and just when we played earlier, it actually, you move a lot smoother than you mm -hmm. did in 2. You and, do. And I don't think it gets enough mention. Yeah, you know? and, and the cover shooting mechanics work really well. Like, as, a, as an action game, it's quite satisfying. Uh, but as, as an RPG, like uh, a lot of the game is built on kind of this branching dialogue system. You know, we during cutscenes, like a little wheel will pop up, which usually has two or three options for you to answer. They're usually pretty clear cut. Like one will be a good a, a good answer, one will be a bad answer, one will be asking for more information. How much when you guys get asked a question in your daily life, or mm -hmm. someone approaches you, and you know. Do you, do you ever get that, like, little tree in your head of, like, these are multiple <laughs> ways I could respond, or do you just go off the cuff and then regret it later? I like, I get it. I get a little tree, but it's kind of like in Terminator, and I just kind of cycle through to fuck you, asshole, and uh, I just go on with my day. Uh, it is a little bit like a tree. It depends on how tired you are, you I, know? I wish I had a tree. I, I wish I had something between my mouth and my brain uh, to kind of slow things uh, down for a second. You know, same yeah. most of the time. But, you know, it's it's a cool system and it works pretty well. Like there are moments in the game where they'll add like a little quick time event where you need to hit uh, a left or right to interrupt somebody. Like if there's a heated moment and you need to cool tensions or make things worse, uh, you have the option to do both. Uh, this game has 40,000 lines of dialogue. Uh, to give that context, Mass Effect 2 had 25,000. Most of these were written in the first two games. They were almost all written by a guy named Drew Carpetian. 
Uh, he wrote all the Mass Effect novels as well, and he's really instrumental in building this world. He did leave uh, uh, Bioware before this um, to, uh, I forget what he went to work on, but, uh, oh no, he didn't leave Bioware. He went to go work on The Old Republic. He did, yeah. And uh, a guy named Mac Walters, who was kind of his co-writer for a lot of this, uh, took over for part three. Um and EA went all out on the marketing for this game. Uh, this this had like a blockbuster movie kind of rollout. Like I remember there were soda cans with like Shepard printed on it. Like there were huge standees everywhere. One of the weirdest ones, I always love finding like bonkers promotional ideas. And one of their weirder ones was uh, EA launched copies of the game into space with weather balloons. Like just get them into the atmosphere until the balloons like deflated and they would equip these with uh, GPS trackers. So diligent players who went onto the website and used their GPS trackers and like tracked down where these landed, not only got an early copy of the game, they got an early copy of the game that's been to space. Uh, wow. So I had no idea. It's crazy. Like, yeah, I don't, I don't know how many of these space games there are, but I want one. <laughs> uh, if you listen to this podcast and you got a space game copy of Mass Effect 3, write in and send us your copy. Send me your space games. Uh, all right. Uh, I, I feel like I want to tackle a little bit of the story, but like it's such a sweeping thing, and we're jumping on the third one. It's kind of hard to, it's hard to encapsulate everything. But this game uh, comes with a little web comic called Genesis Two, which was DLC on other editions, but it comes free with the Wii U edition. And basically, it's just a digital interactive comic that sums up the first two games. It lets you make some of the crucial choices, like mild spoiler for the first game, but there's a moment where you can decide which between two crew members. One gets to live and one gets to die. Now I'm not going to play it. Now, so you, now you've ruined it. Now that I know that a crew member lives and a crew member dies. It's like, I no, wanted no, them I'm all no to die. <laughs> I'm also going to take this moment to remind Katie to interrupt Steve as he keeps talking. Oh, yes, please. Yes. Absolutely okay. do. Yeah. Yes, definitely Sorry. do. Sorry. I'm really bad. We usually remind people okay. to interrupt us because we uh, yammer on you like sons of bitches. Literally um, punch me in the face. Um, I mean, no. <laughs> it feels really awkward to punch you in the face and then keep talking to you. Really? Oh, Woody does yeah. it all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's I know. The whole dynamic. Yeah, yeah. It's a. <laughs> so, uh, I, I guess we'll just kind of start where this game picks up. Basically, Shepard has gone through this entire series. Uh, Shepard is like this commander for an elite Earth uh, forces. Uh, he or she is the commander of the Normandy. They have this crew, and their their whole quest has been basically to stop these biomechanical, gigantic, ancient creatures called the Reapers, who are responsible for eliminating all life in the galaxy something like 50,000 years ago, and uh, now they're threatening to come back. Right, and this is actually the fifth time they've come back. This is the fifth time? Okay. Yeah. All right, yeah. So they, they're, they're kind of uh, responsible for all the major extinction-level events throughout the galaxy. So you said they're biomechanical. So are, were they? do we learn the history of these Reapers? Like, who created them and why? Oh is God, this... they're they're Prothean, right? They're 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 a, they're a Prothean AI. That, yeah, that was an ancient species. That this iteration is a Prothean AI, mm. and it's kind of intimated that uh, the Geth will eventually right. become the next cycles Reapers. Basically, in the every Geth, cycle, they're like a, a hostile AI race. Yeah, right. they're a hostile robot race. Right, and so it's kind of the whole point is that. Basically, bio, bio people. Yeah, bio, 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 biological people. Bio freaks. Yeah, bio freaks. Correct. Yes, bio freaks. Um, will always create AI, and AI will always rebel, and mm. they will always destroy bio organics, and then 
the si- the situation will keep repeating itself. I don't think that's true. Let me check. Siri, uh, <laughs> can you confirm? Do do uh, the AIs always take over bio- biological life? Fuck you, Steve. <laughs> Hand reaching out, approaching <laughs> neck, administering electric shock. <laughs> I'm fine now. Actually, my back feels better. That was nice. Uh, hey. Thanks, Siri. Uh, thanks, <laughs> overlords. <laughs> So Mass Effect 1, uh, Shepard gets this vision of the Reapers, and yep. uh, he's trying to stop this bad guy named Saren who wants to wake them back up. Right. Uh, you stop Saren at the end of the game. Mass Effect 2 kind of takes a hard turn. The game opens with the Normandy blowing up and Shepard dying, which is kind of a shocking move. And then you wake up two years later. You've been uh, restored with cybernetics and biotics and things like that by this strange guy called the Elusive Man, played by Martin Sheen, who, uh, and elusive is spelled I-L-U-S-I-V-E. Yes, so it yep. sounds like he's elusive, but he's actually I-lusive, like or an illusion. Also, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And if you fucked up your character, now you got to spend 40 more minutes to go through that whole thing again. You do. you got to yeah. rebuild your character. Um, so they, they bring you back to life, and they put you to work for uh, the elusive man's company, Cerberus, which is a pro-humanity kind of underground uh, uh, group and he's basically the only one who believes you that the Reapers are real and that you need to find them. I think if you are trying to make a company that does well from a PR perspective, mm-hmm. perhaps you shouldn't name it after like a guardian of hell. Right. Yeah. Like, it seems maybe slightly a little shady, like you might be up to something sinister, uh, which turns out is the case because uh, you do find the Reapers. And that's when you learn that the elusive man actually wants to control the Reapers and use them for his own benefit, i.e. wiping out all non-human life in the galaxy and establishing a new monarchy. He's a space racist. He's a spacist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> so, all right, as this game opens, uh, people have not been believing Shepard's warnings about the Reapers, but that is to their own detriment because the Reapers attack Earth in the opening of this game and it's a pretty great sequence yeah and you're actually headed to your own court martial yeah 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 Yeah, you're heading to your own court because you did uh you abandoned the alliance uh you were a soldier for the alliance and then you're just like oh uh i'm gonna go work for this evil company for a while is that cool if you played the dlc you actually destroy a whole civilization yeah yeah Yeah. (laughs) you kind of you kind of fuck some stuff up you're not you're You're not super great you're pro-genocide at that point so the the crux of this game basically is that you are trying to unite all the different civilizations in the galaxy against the reaper threat you need to kind of pull these galactus readiness like points uh, on this little map on your uh console and basically once it gets to that point you can go into the end game and and the story ends um right but yeah, so it's it's basically just uh, a chain of diplomatic missions uh, where you get to visit all these different exotic worlds and meet all these different crazy characters, and it's awesome. So, so all right, guys, I had a nice time playing this game for 15 minutes. Sure. Which, you know, it, that bodes well. But what I want you to do, I want you to tell me why, because I, I imagine all these games are pretty long. Yeah. I want you to tell me why I should devote three games to playing Mass Effect. Like, what, what do you guys think is very cool about Mass Effect? Oh, boy. So I, for me, I think Mass Effect has one of the most satisfying video game worlds out there. Like it's one of the most well developed, one of the most rich. It feels very lived in. Uh, I'm a sucker for good sci-fi, and I think this is excellent sci-fi. Yeah, and Uh, I, 
And I think we talked about this earlier, but Bioware does narrative very well. Yeah. To the point where you are kind of really connected to your shepherd. You're connected to the choices that you've made. Yeah. Like, I mean, again, I took a flip phone photo just so I could have the exact same shepherd. Yeah. All the way through. And it just because you feel like you are that character. Um, and it just it's a really strong game. And if you're a sci-fi nerd, absolutely. Like, it's probably one of the more playable universes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you you just, you get to ex- explore all these little dark corners, and I think they did an excellent job of, like, there are a ton of different, like, races and alien creatures in the game, some of which, like, are never going to join your party, and right. some, of, some of, most of which are humanoid, and some of them are just, like, out there weird. My favorite are the Elcor, which are, like, <laughs> like the they look kind of like elephants without trunks and they they only have a monotone and they can't convey emotion so they preface every sentence with the emotion they're supposed to be saying so they'll say happiness i am excited to see you they're like elon musk types exactly yeah. they're very much like it's it's that i actually i would prefer to see an elcor host snl uh, same uh i also like the hangar the hangar yeah they're awesome they're they're like glowing jellyfish they things. are glowing jellyfish yeah and they get their own series well in the game Oh yeah, 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 that's right. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, there's just there's so many different characters, and you know, characters that you meet in the first game will come back around in the third. Like, there's just it. It definitely it just rewards uh, diligent players. It rewards people who really dig in and try and learn about the world. So I want to talk specifically. Like, I feel like their choice to put this game out on Wii U was just kind of baffling. Yeah, like I get that you have a big like. I just wonder if it was a push from Nintendo or if it was a push from EA, like, originally, because it almost feels like the kind of thing where Nintendo would reach out, because, like, they have a lot more at stake here than EA does. That's <laughs> that's what it feels like to me, because, you know, we've talked about how, like, uh, companies kind of jumped ship uh, on the Wii U after, like, two or three months, and I think EA was the first to pull the plug. Like, all the EA games that were released in the system came out on day one, and it's like this uh, Madden FIFA and but like, but like, I, think I can't like a Marvel think game. of like a worse launch game in terms of like something that makes no sense because the, it's not like if you had played the previous two games on a different console, it's not like you would need to get a new console to play the third one. It's right. not like these are all jumped to a next generation. So now you have to make a choice. It's like if you have this on PS3 and Mass Effect 3 comes out, it, you, you're just going to get it on PS3. Yeah. Because then you can, you know, you're used to the way the game controls. You can carry your character over and there's like no... There's no none of the Wii U features contribute very much. Like the game doesn't look better. In- not no, not necessarily. Yeah, the, the Wii U features that we have here, there are uh, there's some some of the DLC from the uh, uh, console versions have made it over here for free. Uh, you get the Genesis 2, the comic book to kind of catch things up, and then you have gamepad functionality. Like you get a map on the screen, and you get to uh, map your your squad's powers to the touch screen. So okay, well that, that's kind of neat. Yeah, I I've, I've played around with it a little bit and like once you get into it it's like yeah, it's cool and you can you can drag your characters to certain places on the touch screen to like get them in position uh for some of the squad commands, you know. It streamlines a couple things and it is nice to have like such a big clear map like on yeah. your second screen. Uh, you know, getting your characters to your squad mates to go other places in this game is actually pretty hard. It can be. I yeah. and I I do think this Wii U version uh fixed that to okay. a large degree like well, made it cool. uh, maybe not fixed it but it's definitely more responsive on on the others and like you said it's not 
this isn't a technical powerhouse. Like, I don't think this is the best looking version of this game. No. Uh, mm-hmm. It's also not terrible looking, honestly, for a Wii U game. It doesn't look bad. Yeah. This, uh, we, we mentioned there are some kind of infamous glitches with Mass Effect and pretty much all Bioware games. It's kind of a given. Like, you have this very big, mostly open world with lots of these character models. Sometimes their faces are going to disappear. <laughs> Sometimes they will grow eye stalks <laughs> out of the tops of their heads during a conversation. Uh, the, the worst I got here was some frame rate chugging and, uh, a couple times characters mouths stopped moving during dialogue. It, it all looks which, really great compared to cyberpunk. Oh yeah. See, yeah. I'm sure of that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Having not seen cyberpunk at all. Like I, I, I've heard the, uh, legends against it, uh, but I think, you know, the production values are really good here. And like I said, they've, they brought in a lot of like name talent you know i mentioned right. martin sheen we also have seth green we have freddie prince jr lance henriksen keith david keith uh david. carrie ann moss is in here yvonne strahovski uh and the most fun name to say in the world shore agdashalu i love that name i don't know um yeah they got a whole bunch of people in there i guess that is kind of the question that that i think you were getting at to with, with like what's the reason to play mass effect 3 on the wii u which is it's also kind of where I'm struggling, like to not to get ahead of it, but it's also kind of, kind of how I'm struggling with the ratings of this. Like, you know, because I th- I think this is a better game on a gameplay level than almost anything we've played so far, but I don't know that this is the way to play it. You know, I feel like you want the more immersive experience and it does feel weird to get dropped in on the third entry of like a planned trilogy like with all the history and everything like yeah the comic book helps but it's not going to give you like the full breadth of the experience i wonder if it was just to show off what the wii u could do with this type of game i imagine that's kind of the idea behind it i think uh and they wanted to integrate some of the touchscreen technology in a way like to yeah yeah so basically that but i agree with you but i think it was nintendo pushing for this rather than ea right but i mean unfortunately i think that unless a game what the wii u could really do like in its ideal world was you could play the whole game on the gamepad yeah like i feel like and that was the preface to the switch and i feel like that because to me, that's the main selling point of like a Switch port at this point. Because they're they've been porting a lot of games that like the Switch can't really handle, like yeah. Doom Eternal. They're like, oh yeah, buy it on Switch or Mortal Kombat 11. And it's like a definitively worse version. But the fact that you can play it portably, like you're like, oh, that's a real selling point. It is, yeah. Whereas here, that functionality doesn't exist because they hadn't figured that out yet. So yeah. it's like even that big selling point of you know, I want to play Mass Effect laying in my bed. Um, but like, that's not going to happen. Right. Yeah. That makes especially, yeah, because you can't take the Wii U gamepad like even slightly out of sight of the console or it will just freak out at you. Uh, so yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. I think, I think that is something you need to kind of reckon with when talking about these games. Um, so a little bit about the multiplayer, obviously this isn't something we can play because the Wii U network has all been shut down and nobody's playing Mass Effect 3 online on the Wii anyway. I, are they playing it on anything? I can't imagine yeah, anybody would be. It was not really uh, awesome. There, there was a really good article in PC World that just came out this week uh, where they were looking back at the multiplayer of Mass Effect 3, and they were both praising it and kind of condemning it because this is the origin of loot crates. Quick question. Yeah. Was Mass Effect 3 the first Mass Effect game to have multiplayer? It was, okay. yes, because... Uh, You'll remember this was kind of a push at this point. Like every game had to have a multiplayer mode because more and more games were 
going MMO or going free to play, and you need something to kind of keep you coming back, right? The Assassin's Creed games got multiplayer oh, at those this were point. Terrible, yeah. yeah the Uncharted, terrible. yeah, had that. Like it, it was, they were kind of just cramming it into every game. And uh, judging from the article here, it's like they they were they were very positive on the gameplay itself. Like they said, this was a good multiplayer mode. The big problem is that it is the creator of Loot Crate. So the, the idea that you need to purchase with real-world money card packs a la Magic the Gathering that give you a random, rare, ultra-rare, mm. things like that. Somebody did the math on this, uh, and they said they figure you need to, to get every ultra-rare in the game, you would need to open 738 card packs uh, for a cost of more than $2,000. Is... What, is it just like a deathmatch arena style shooter, like in the multiplayer? Yeah, like kind it's of just a competitive thing. It's not like you play through the campaign with someone. Yeah, it's yeah. I think it is team based. I think you need to play yeah, in you, like you're in teams. It's a co op. Um, but, yeah, and, you you pit squads against each other, yeah. and and the goal, the the points you earn in multiplayer feed towards your in game galactic federation readiness level or whatever. Right, and this is kind of where it fell down for me, just because trying to connect and then ending up in a team of 14 year olds. It just, you know, not it, my favorite way to play. That's what keeps me off online games almost entirely yeah, because, same. uh, yeah, they're all kids and they're all better at the games than I'll ever, I will ever be. You guys are really selling me on this. I've been meaning to hang out with more 14 year olds. So I can, <laughs> that was my new year's resolution. Is to well, spend just more be, time with 14 year olds. Be prepared to hear some racial slurs. Oh. That's all I'm going to say. It's so, I mean, I'm not saying that when I hung out with 14-year-olds when I was 14, we were any better than that. But it is so depressing yeah. with, to hear those that kind of language from young people. I just feel like... I mean, it's depressing from anyone, Yeah, but it's just like, ugh, what a downer. It, it wasn't better when we no, did it. No, yeah, yeah, it wasn't better. No, no, it's definitely true. Yeah, well, they're not really great to lady gamers. Not so much. No. I, yeah, yeah. Uh, no. It's, I'm lucky. My voice is a little bit lower than most ladies, so... <laughs> So I think they'd still be able to tell. <laughs> I I just I just went on a date with a girl who um, said that she what she's been really enjoying is playing Call of Duty and knitting. And oh. I imagine her doing these two things together, like like she's she, got ambidextrous toes or something. She, no, just she like, would like she would be like knitting and then like look up and like you know get a headshot and then like go down and like knit some more. I, just, I mean, it was a very attractive image, is what I, I'm saying. I, I mean, if there's ever a game also that you could... talented. Yeah. If, if there's ever a game you'd want to bring knitting for, I would say Mass Effect 3. It's got long-ass load times. Like, anytime <laughs> you boot it up, anytime you are anytime you die, like, yeah, long-ass load times. Bring a book. Uh, or some knitting. Yeah. Or some knitting. Yeah, exactly. So, all right. The big elephant in the room that we need to talk about with Mass Effect 3 is, of course, the ending of this game. Uh, this... Yeah, to call this controversial is kind of putting it mildly. It almost led to, like, the company getting into legal trouble over this. Uh, people are still angry, by it, the way, especially it was, on Reddit. It was a flashpoint. It was a flashpoint. Uh, most outlets and players, like, praised the gameplay and the execution. Like, I think everybody was kind of like, this is a really good game, but there's this one thing at the end. Uh, the, I did watch a historical IGN review, and they're like, satisfying ending, and I was like, Ooh, you, Ooh, okay. You don't know your audience. I mean, you know, I, I personally was not bothered by the ending. Okay, I have a question. Here. Yeah. What things, like, that have been long-running series, either, I guess, film or video games, that have spanned at least three or more entries have had satisfying endings? Because I feel like everyone's Ooh. pretty down on Star Rise of Skywalker. Yeah, hated um, it. 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I just I feel like at some point too many threads come together that people want and it just never happens. Like what's like what's the game series that has like the best ending where it feels like there's closure or it's, something like it's that. It's hard to say too because so few game series end. Right, like if they're successful, true. they'll kind of just keep going forever. Like in other media, I feel like people were generally pretty satisfied with the Breaking Bad finale. I, I, yeah. Uh, the Sopranos finale. Well, I mean, the Sopranos finale was like... And the original Star Wars trilogy. I, yeah, yeah. You know, it's pretty satisfying. That, that ended pretty perfectly. Yeah, yeah. No. And they fucked it up. <laughs> um, but yeah, so basically, the, the off-putting point here was that BioWare was claiming that the, the, the choices that you make in the first game were going to have a direct impact on the way the last game ended, which was probably too big a claim for them to make. Now, were they claiming this all the way from game one, they essentially? Were. Okay. Yeah, and it was in all the advertisements, like, saying that, like, this, it will, it'll completely change your experience. And then players got really upset because they find when you get... I'm not going to spoil the ending, but when you get to the ending all of the moral choices that you've made up to this point kind of boils down to like a binary yes, no, like either or yeah, answer that doesn't really, uh, it isn't really effective. Sorry, Kate, I'm going to hand it back to you in a second, but it's <laughs> the bad guy asks you if you want to join them. And if you say yes, the game ends. <laughs> my guy is the same end as Double Dragon. You, know, you have to fight Jimmy Lee. <laughs> Only there's, there's also apparently a secret fourth ending that I didn't know about. Uh, until today, that's the uh, that's the Ewok dancing ending, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah they, for sure. There's just an Elcor party. <laughs> yeah. I want to see that. Yob nub, yob nub, yob nub, <laughs> jubilantly. Hey, hey, the the shadow of Hayden Christensen looks on, waves, <laughs> or or he's like, did I make a wrong turn at Albuquerque? <laughs> What's going on? Waka this is the waka. wrong franchise. <laughs> yeah. So this, like, I think in most cases you just say, oh, that was kind of a disappointing ending. Oh well. Yeah. But I think because Bioware like hyped this up so much and then it just didn't really pay off. Like I think from a story element, if you ignore the hype, like if you go into this game cold, not knowing that you were supposed to like be playing this entire series like that, I think you'd be pretty satisfied with the way it ends. I think so. And I, I seem to remember um, back, I guess, 2012, I thought that a lot of the online fear was just that, um, you know, Somebody dies. Sure. And they're very upset about it. Like, you know, the whole point thing about choice is being able to save somebody. Sure. Um, you know, I've seen better criticism since. Yeah. Uh, um, and I think that, but I think, you know, narratively doing a choose your own adventure won't ever lead to a satisfying ending. No, no, it really won't. And most of my experience with choose your own adventure is like I immediately get eaten by a groove or something <laughs> like, yeah. Um, I will also say like eight, I think eight times out of 10 video game endings are not very good. Like they usually no. just kind of peter out because the developers kind of ran out of money because they worked on that part last, like anything like that. They're just very hard to get right. And I will say, I think the level, but I think most of the time people don't care that much. Mm -hmm. And I feel like the level of anger over the Mass Effect ending speaks highly of how involved people got in the narrative and the character. Oh, entirely. Like, yeah. Like pe people are incredibly passionate about this series and with good reason. Yeah. But well, and I think also 
it from a character standpoint, this game is very character forward when you talk about oh, yeah. the way things are, whether it's plot driven or character driven. This one is very character driven. Yeah. And you know who else is character driven and has bad endings? Stephen King. Very true. Very and, true. He has he has trouble sticking the landing. Right. And let's be honest, probably Game of Thrones as well, because oh, it's man. very, very, very character heavy. And that's the thing. That's a, it's another case of like, you know, if you screw up the ending bad enough, then you're just going to kind of lose your fan base. Like Game of Thrones has Absolutely. essentially disappeared from the culture because of how badly it ended. Yeah. But th- this kind of led to a sort of a sea change in how developers and gamers interacted because there was this very vocal online movement called Retake Mass Effect, which <laughs> I do not like. I no. don't like that. I mean, I don't know, whatever they accomplished, uh, I don't know. But they were basically... Uh, threatening to boycott until they rewrote a different ending. Is that like uh, hashtag hot take like proto Gamergate? It's when would Gamergate happen? Was that happening at this time? Oh, no, like concurrently? I think, that ha- I think that happened a little bit later. Yeah, maybe 2015 or something like that. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. But like it, it's uh, oh, I would just say like I think the thing this is always like. Well, I mean, I think you're about to get here in a second, but like, it's just always a tricky dynamic. It's kind of cool in some ways that we've almost gotten to the point where like people's online fervor can like make a change of something, like be it releasing an egregiously long superhero cut or yeah. like making Sonic not look horrible. Yeah. Like the the only pro- like those are I think neat things that happened, but the problem is like encouraging this behavior also kind of sucks. That's the <laughs> thing. That's the thing that gets me. They did the, the same thing happened with Final Fantasy 15. There's a, a chapter in that game that fans had such a negative outcry towards that uh, Square patched it out of the game. Like, so there's an yeah. entire chapter, an entire narrative section of that game that's just gone. But you know th- this this did w- work. Like they Bi- Bioware released an extended edition. They released it as a free patch that they just yep. kind of gave out to players that expanded on the ending uh, and just kind of showed a little bit more about what happened. Um, Didn't they also include an apart? Was that the apartment DLC as well? I don't know. I can't remember. I don't yeah. remember. There there were there were like four or five different DLC packs. There was one that was just like all of them on shore leave, like on the yeah. Citadel, which was really fun. Uh, it came with a downloadable copy of Billy Wilder's <laughs> <laughs> beloved, <laughs> beloved romantic comedy. It's, I don't know. Is the apartment a romantic comedy? Uh, yeah, I'd say. Yeah, yeah. I got, well, it's got romantic elements and comedy elements. That's my number one favorite movie of all time. That I have never way. seen. Yeah, really? Oh my god. Oh, oh, we got to do it sometime. It's my favorite. Um, so yeah, uh, that that's the kind of the negative thing. The other thing was that the outcry was so public that the Better Business Bureau was actually investigating Bioware for a time for uh, false advertising because they did state pretty clearly in a lot of their advertisements that this is going to have a direct impact on the way you play and the way things end. So I think if they had just said like this will your choices in the first game will affect outcomes in the third. Like right. that's accurate. That is a thing that is true. Like, yeah. you know, you, you decide which character lives and dies in the first one and they are in your party in the third one. Like it, it is a thing, yeah. but th- as far as like how the whole saga actually ends, yeah, it does kind of come down to an either or choice. It, it does, but it, you know, it, it feels like, uh, at least my playthrough is going to be different than your playthrough. Oh, right? yeah. Uh, yeah. And right down to the ch- shepherd you pick. Yeah. Right. And we talked about this earlier. You saved Ashley, mm-hmm. noted space racist. Mm-hmm. Is and she right? a spacist? Yes. Uh, oh, apparently. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, some people argue yes or no. Alleged. <laughs> alleged, alleged space racist. She's just getting censored. Okay. 
And then I saved Caden, um, mm-hmm. a.k.a. Karth, for yeah. obvious sentimental reasons. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you know, so yeah, yeah, they're they're just very different ways that everyone can play, and for it all to kind of boil down to like this one choice that's gonna be the same for everybody, I think that was where a lot of the disappointment lay. Yeah. But for me, like I I never bought into the hype all that much because I played Fable, like we were talking oh, about before. Yeah. Fable. Fable was a game that made these very uh, outlandish claims that proved to just be things that video games can't do. Couldn't do then, can't do now. Remember how, like, for a time, like, Peter Molyneux was, like, a person that people cared about? He for made some reason. He like, made too many like, claims, but yeah. But he, like, came out of nowhere. He's like, oh, yeah, the guy who invented Populous. Yeah. And you're like, who the fuck plays Populous? Or Black and White. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Oh, here's these games no one cares about. And then, like, so I know we're going to get a letter from someone who tells us that Black and White is awesome. And oh, I'm sure it is. No, and look, I'm, I'm sure these games know, are great. I make lots of accusations of tossing away games that I'm sure have their plenty of selling points. My point is, yeah. it's weird that Peter Molyneux all of a sudden was like, oh, famed, beloved developer. Peter Molyneux has some prime words about how Fable's really going to change your mind. And I I feel like the fact that he mostly made God games, uh, it kind of gives you an idea (laughs) of where he's coming from. Like he he really wants to have this kind of godlike control over these little worlds. And Fable was that was like the promised thing. It's like you can take this character from childhood to death. Like you can watch them age in real time and look at the days changing. And when the game came out, it's like this goofy RPG with a right. fart button. Like, I don't know. <laughs> and he promised that you could pet dogs, which you can do in other games now. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a handy Twitter for it. I love entitled, that. Entitled, Can You Pet the Dog? And they just list games and they tell you whether or not you can pet the dog in it. So There's another great one, though. Uh, is there a secret behind the waterfall? Which oh. is very useful because I always check yeah. and there usually oh, is. There always is. Uh, a good place to hide things. Yeah, yeah. Especially if you're a pirate. I've, I've, I mean, I, I took so many notes on Mass Effect Three. Mass Effect Three, it, it, it's one of the most talked about games of my lifetime. Like, it's uh, one of the biggest games, sure. like most controversial yeah. kind of divisive games. And uh, so, there's a lot of ground to cover. People are still litig- litigating this to this day. Like, it's, it's going to be a. Well, there's still active channels that talk to you about the choices that you can make in each game. Yeah. Uh, a guy named Big Dan Gaming. Big Dan Gaming. Yeah, I recommended him. Is his, my sister's playing uh, Andromeda right now. Okay. So, is yeah. his last name actually Gaming? I hope so. Oh. I, really I mean, he, he really just leaned into it. It's like right. if your last name is Dentist and you become a dentist. You, you got to be Gaming. Dr. Dentist DDS. <laughs> That's a common last name. Um, do we have anything else we want to say about Mass Effect before we, or Mass Effect 3 before we, uh, before we let it rest? Um, you know, I... I have really fond memories of Mass Effect. In fact, you know, getting ready for this, I was watching a lot of YouTube, um, and it made me want to play. And it actually, um, right now I'm finishing up Assassin's Creed Valhalla, Mm -hmm. and it actually kind of makes Valhalla feel a little hollow just because of how intense your emotions are connected to the game. Yeah, I didn't have that same emotional response to Valhalla. Yeah, no, it's, it's kind of no. just run around doing stuff. Right, yeah. like, uh, you know, and I even played it on easy because I just wanted to finish it fast. Yeah. So, yeah, it it, it makes me want to go ahead and play it. I'm probably not going to buy it again unless it comes to Switch. Yeah. You know. I mean, yeah, 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 yeah. What, what, what do you want to oh. I was just going to say, this might be the weirdest podcast I've ever been on in terms of an episode of our show, aside from having to pass the mic back and forth. 
Um, just because it's like it's clear like this is a huge world and like these were huge games. Yeah. And I feel like I I just feel so unbelievably ignorant. Like I didn't even know that these games had this level of following. Yeah. And I'm so unfamiliar with all the mechanics. Yeah. And yeah. It's just, it's just a weird feeling to like, like, all right, you talk about this thing and be like, well, I literally know nothing. I so. mean, th- this is how I felt when we were doing wrestling games oh, on N64. Sh- like, like, like I, I was trying to dig into this world. It's like, all right, where the hell do I even start with this? Like, this is so huge. People care so deeply about it. And I've, I'm a hundred percent on the outside, but, yeah. but Mass hey. Effect I've been in on since the day one yeah and we haven't even really talked about all the fan fiction we have not all we have not fan fiction oh boy people really want to get under garris's mandible flaps is that what he has i guess uh, yeah yeah mandible sure, flaps. sure. I, you know i think this game is a real big emotional thing um this, who, did, this who did you romantically pair off with out of curiosity um, or did it you was ever caden. you you pair yeah, off caden. it was okay. caden and then thane Okay. And then Thane dies, so you can go back to Caden. Poor Thane. <laughs> Strategy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Smart. Okay, all right. You're just playing the field a little bit. That's why you kept him alive. Yeah, that's yeah. why I only date people in the cancer ward. Because I'm like, oh, they'll, they'll die, and then I'll oh. have another chance to someone else. Oh, God. Yeah, aren't you glad I pulled away the mic for that yeah, comment? I'm so glad you yeah. took it for that one. Yeah, uh, yeah. What about you? It was uh, it was Liara in the first game, and I was very into Jack in the second game. No, uh, I which I mean, you know, I know she doesn't wear clothes. Um, she's and, very sad. Yeah, very sad, very angry prisoner lady. But she was super cool. That's, um, that's Steve's type: is tattooed, sad, naked women. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Basically, anyone who wants to kill me with their mind <laughs> is kind of my type. Um, all right. Well, let's let's move on to our rankings here for a, a very strange episode, but uh, uh, we, we we're doing our best. Um, God, how do you rank Mass uh, Effect so Three on this? Like, uh, tell you one one thing. Yeah. Um. So the said best friend actually named her oldest child Garrus. Really? Yeah. And you know, Garrus is a really great kid, and it seems weird to me that he's eight years old now. That's right? cra- yeah. I mean, yeah. this game's like fifteen years old, or the original right. game's like fifteen yeah. at this point. And that you love it so much that you'll name your kid after it. That's amazing. Yeah. That is so cool, and that's like a good one to name after. Yeah, he's a solid. I named my kid Zitz. (laughs) (laughs) Mine is bonk. (laughs) All right. uh, All right. Attempting to rank this game. So, yeah, like I said, I've got some conflicting feelings about it because I think Mass Effect as a trilogy, and I do kind of look at it as a trilogy, you know, because you can't just play one. I, I always have to go through the entire thing if I'm playing it. Like they would, they would count amongst my favorite games, like mm-hmm. and amongst my favorite game universes. I can't say I would recommend the Wii U as the way to play this game. I think you want to stick with one console, get the trilogy on PS3 or something, and play through the entire thing. Um, that being said, splitting the difference on that, I think this is going to be my number two game, just underneath uh, Shovel Knight, just above Super Mario 3D World, um, and I, I feel good about that just because. For all of its flaws, Mass Effect 3 is a deeply emotionally affecting, sweeping, smart, well-paced, exciting, fun game. And yeah, it does have some missteps, and it does kind of botch the ending a little bit, but it doesn't take away from everything else this game does exceptionally well. Uh, And so, yeah, I just have to to give it some love. I don't know. I, I, I really do love this game. I've never played the Wii U until tonight, so... 
It's my number one. It's your number one. It's probably my only one. I, I mean, so I think we can safely call it your number one until we, unless we have you back, which of course you are welcome. So you using the controller didn't make you immediately want to go out and buy a Wii U for yourself? Uh, no, it's, my hands were too far apart, and I play a Switch, so. Yeah, it feels very weird. Um, this this is this is like the weird, super just blind ranking. I'm putting it behind Tech and Tag Tournament. Um, number four. Again, yeah. I played it about 15 minutes, but I'm like, hey, these shooting mechanics, they're really good. Like these cutscenes, clearly high production values. It's nice to see Keith David. I guess it was, my my question right. is, are you in, interested in playing these games now? Like, I, am, I I mean, I am because this game, the actual act of playing this game was more fun than my brain had made it out to be. Yeah. I had just always envisioned this game as, I just like, I'm not anti-sci-fi by any means, no. but just like a story-based kind of like, visit the different sci-fi worlds isn't necessarily going to hook me in. But now that I actually played this and I'm like, wow, these are like fun, playable shooter mechanics, I could see myself getting sucked in. Because to me, I don't I don't play video games for like a character. Like right. character and cutscenes don't quite get me there. It always has to pull me in by being, you know, intense, fun, satisfying in terms of the gameplay, and then I will sort of get involved in the characters. Sure. Um, and in my time playing this game, that was the case. Yeah. I, I enjoyed it, and I wanted to keep playing. Well, good, good. I think that's, yeah, I, th- I think you'll get a lot out of them. And, like, they are long games, but they're also fast games. Like, they like I, I feel like... They don't feel like a slog. Yeah, I played through the whole trilogy, like, again for like the third time like two years ago and i was just kind of amazed at how quickly i got through three massive games i'm just like well i i just kind of sat down and like blink and you miss it you're done with all three of them Um, right yeah yeah just kind of the different than some of the games i've been playing now where you sink literally a hundred hours into it without really even thinking about it yeah 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 well, uh, we have one letter to read today, uh, and uh, again, another one relating... It's from P. Molyneux. <laughs> <laughs> How dare you? I'm probably French. I don't know. Um, it says, if Infinite Jest was a game, it would... No. A- I, I don't <laughs> like this influx of Infinite Jest questions we've been getting lately. It says, if Infinite Jest was a game, it would be ludicrous in its narrative structure, Agreed. deliberately frustrate the player, Agreed. be revered and reviled by critics simultaneously have its story written by an absolute lunatic slash genius, push the limits of what a game or novel is, and have an interesting dystopian near-future world that is never explained. So here's my question. Is Death Stranding the video game version of Infinite Jest, or is Infinite Jest the first Strand book? And that is from our friend Scott. Thank you, Scott. That's a very good point about Death Stranding, actually. Like I, 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 I knew, uh, as he was listing those descriptors, I knew Hideo Kojima was coming coming in somewhere. I never yeah. played Death Stranding. Did you play Death Stranding? I did. I loved it. Yeah. You loved yeah. it. I loved it. Uh, I can understand people absolutely hating it because it is basically a long, moody walking simulator. Uh, but it sounded like, boy, it sounded so awful to me. Like, you, like what I, I said, got, like any game that like, oh, yeah. there's no action in this game. <laughs> like you literally, your, yeah, your well, gameplay mechanic is, is adjust your backpack. There, there, <laughs> yeah, basically, yeah. yeah. Like so much of it is just like, you'd be amazed how addictive that gets. It's like, okay, how much time do I have left in my day? Can I cart like 50 pounds of stuff on my backpack? I'll attach my bionic legs so I can walk uphill better. And like so often it is just that you'll walk around and then sometimes a ghost will attack you. 
and your baby on your chest will like start crying and freaking out when you're near ghosts. It's, it's utterly bizarre. And when you explain it, it sounds like nonsense and it is nonsense. It's Kojima nonsense. But I mean, I do think Scott I, made a pretty good case. I that, think so. that those descriptors do sound very infinite jesty. They do, they do, and I I would not be surprised if Kojima is like a big infinite jest fan based on that because it I is wonder. it is very long. It's kind of bloated. It's kind of slow, and it's not going to be for everyone or even most people. How hard infinite jest would be to read if English was not your first language? Yeah, seriously, <laughs> it's yeah. very hard to read if English is your first language. Yeah, because um, I don't even think English is infinite jest's first language. <laughs> yeah, is Death Stranding funny? Does it have... It does have some funny stuff. And it has some really bizarre choices. Like it's an art... It's like an art film sponsored by Monster Energy Drink. Like that's how you revive your power in that game is by drinking monsters. And yeah, it's continuing Kojima's fascination with having his uh, main character shower. There's a lot of uh, Norman Reedus butt in this. Okay. Like it's... It's a deeply unusual game. Like it's one like I have trouble recommending to everyone because it's very off-putting. But I just found it such a singular experience that I got very into it. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, I loved Death Stranding. I'm I am in the minority on that. I know. Um, well, that's the only letter that we have. Uh, so I would like to end today by saying a big, big thank you to uh, MVP Katie Bray for coming in and uh, uh, being Woody's lifeline on the Mass Effect series. <laughs> yeah, definitely. This is just and it's. Also, just helping us work through a uh, new experience of podcasting with a person in person. I know. And having them in the room. I'm, I'm, I'm glad they got to be you. Welcome. Yeah. Well, thank you for having me again. Of course. Of Especially course. Especially since I was so quiet on the last one. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. true. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And I think uh, yeah, you, you've definitely kind of shown your Mass Effect bona fides here. So yeah. so I, I appreciate the expertise. You, um, I'm, I'm not meaning to call you out here, Katie, but you have an interesting dynamic of, I feel like, in podcasting, you are quieter than you are in real life, which I feel like is the opposite way that yeah. Steve and I function. Yeah, like, yeah, very much, yeah. very no, much. I am a very loud person, and apparently I get really polite only in this space. Yeah, so, which is weird because you work in a library. Yeah, too. it's like yeah, Kate, yeah. you can hear Katie's voice across the library, but when they're like, Katie, talk louder into the mic. <laughs> it's like, it's like, no. Yeah, no, I, I no. refuse. Um, yes. All right. Well, uh, be sure to tune in next week because we are jumping in with another sequel that the first game didn't appear on the on the uh, Wii U, which is a weird uh, trend we're going to be running into. Lots of sequels came out, but not the originals. We are going to be playing the game Epic Mickey 2, The Power of 2. Is where uh, Mickey Mouse is. Katie just that, ate a lemon. That, she gave she gave a very sour face. She she just like something inside her died when I said the title of that game, and I didn't even tell you what it's about. It's about Epic Mickey. He's like he's like a Mickey, but he's like an epic one. Yeah, you play as you play all the. You, it's basically a retelling of the Lord of the Rings, but all the characters are replayed by Mickey Rourke. <laughs> It's it's just it's just Mickey, but he's dabbing all the time. I mean, I'm sorry, that sounds better than a normal Mickey game. Oh man, yeah, I don't like Mickey Mouse. Okay, all right. Uh, I I, I also sus- don't like Lord of the Rings. Oh, okay. Well, that, that all right. We're not. We better we're end this before we get more hate mail. Shit is getting. I also just like the articulation of normal Mickey. Like Epic Mickey was the sequel to the game Normal Mickey, or you could buy like two different versions. It was like Pokemon Red or Blue. You could buy Epic Mickey or Normal Mickey. It comes in a base disc you know we're just like this is just about like uh uh, mickey learning how to cook like he he's just taking a class at the annex 
uh, and trying to revive his marriage. I don't know. Like, all right. Uh, so, yeah, we will be playing Epic Mickey 2. Hopefully, if all things work out, we'll have an awesome guest on board for that one as well. So uh, we will see you next week with some Epic Mickey Dose. All right. All right. Mass Effect Relay out of here. Kazap. See, it wasn't a pew this time. It was a kazap. Oh, you really mixed it up. All right. I'm stopping the stream. Thank you.